Blog Talk Radio. Folks, and welcome to another hour of the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. You know, oh, yeah, there's something we got to do here. Today's date is February 11th, 2015. United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. All right, now that we've gotten our introduction out of the way, I am your host for this wonderful hour from 8 to 9 p.m., Monday through Thursday. You can find our show uh, archived in iTunes. Just type in the search box, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Or you can find me on Spreaker. Spreaker, uh, just download that app and once you've downloaded the app onto your smartphone or if you have it in your automobile, just look for Dr. C. Robert Jones. My shows are uploaded there as well, and I can be found in other places too. Also, every 
blog talk radio show, every show that I that I produce is archived on both iTunes and in um, Blog Talk Radio, from the very first show all the way to uh, the most recent. So, now that we've gotten that out of the way, the call-in number is 347-884-8500. And... And if you don't have, if you if you if you if you've still got one of those phone plans where you're using up a certain number of minutes, I I I have a toll-free number as well. I haven't used it in quite some time, or I haven't given it out. It's eight seven seven six 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 nine three zero five. All right. So before we get into tonight's uh, topics, because we got a couple of them we want to get in before the end of the show, we're going to take our usual short break and we'll come right back. All right. Imagine what lies ahead in 2017. No matter the result of the, the results of the 2014 midterms, which are in the Republicans' favor, or the 2016 presidential contest, there will be no more one trillion dollar deficits. About ten trillion will have been added to the national debt during Obama's administration. On top of the more than four trillion from the eight years of George Bush's administration, that's a staggering sum, and that staggering sum will force the next president to be a deficit hawk, both fiscally and politically. Our nation will literally depend upon it if it already doesn't, which it does. In addition, there'll be no huge new fiscal spending programs, no third or fourth stimulus, no vast new entitlements. The debt is so large, and voters are so tired of massive borrowing, that the next president will talk not of, quote, investments, end quote, but of balancing the budget in 2017. President Hillary Clinton or President Marco Rubio will tell us that cutting spending and living within our means is the new cool. You doubt that? If eight years of borrowing, printing, spending, and lending vast sums of money at zero interest did not lead to economic recovery, then the antithesis of all that will be the explicit yeah exactly the antithesis of all that will be the explicit platform of republicans and the implicit one of democrats obamacare may remain in name let's start with that one 
But in fact, most of its provisions will be discarded or amended. In full implementation, which will happen next year, its result, it will result in almost everything that was not supposed to happen. Higher health care premiums, rationed care, scarcer doctors, and fewer jobs. Obamacare will mostly go the way of the Defense of Marriage Act, officially the law of the land, but its enforcement simply ignored by the powers that be. So, good people, we have something to look forward to. Despite an increase in carbon emissions since 2000, the planet did not heat up in the last 15 years, scientists will continue to argue over global warming, but politicians will not talk much more of implementing costly cap-and-trade policies. They will still praise green energy as a way of the future, but they'll not continue the massive subsidies needed to substitute it for far cheaper fossil fuels. What do you think about that prediction? Instead of, well, instead, inspect a renewal of uh, federal oil and natural gas leases on public lands. There's too much newly discovered recoverable energy on federal property to continue to delay its full production. And, and, And also, too much of an upside in cheaper gas at the pump. More independence from Middle East atrocities, more jobs, more money, and more economic growth. Don't expect the same level of increases in disability and unemployment insurance and food stamps. The trajectories of all those programs since 2009 are not sustainable. For all the talk that Social Security and Medicare are not in bad shape, Democrats and Republicans after Obama will be forced to save both programs by either upping the eligibility age, curbing some benefits, or hiking payroll taxes. Or all, all of that, and perhaps... Perhaps a bit more. The next president will jettison the sort of class warfare that has led only to short-term political gain and long-term polarization. Obama's fat cats and one percenters will disappear from the presidential vocabulary. We'll hear no more accusations that the successful really did not build their own businesses or that they should have known when it was time not to profit because they had made quite enough money, according to Mr. Obama. Expect just the opposite. Expect a a Bill Clinton-like smoozing of small businesses, asking them to please start buying, hiring, and expanding again. Asking, not demanding, not extorting. Aside from the partisan furrow over whether the Obama policies have worked, Democrats will say that things would have been worse without them. Republicans will insist that a natural recovery was turned into long-term doldrums. We'll not see that. We won't see them continue. Ladies and gentlemen, we're institutionalizing in European style Huge government, high unemployment, sluggish GDP growth, serial annual deficits, ballooning aggregate national debt, and massive dependency, along with near zero interest rates. The two parties will disagree over the, the over, over the contours of this chronically weak economy, but not over the fact that or of its weakness, or soon, even its causes, most Americans will not wish to continue down the road to Italy or Spain. Barack Obama was a landmark figure, young, 
charismatic, seemingly post-national, and supposedly post-racial. For those reasons alone, he enjoyed a level of unshakable political support not predicated on the actual record of his tenure as president. Just as most remember fondly that he won the Nobel Prize but didn't quite know what he did to earn it, (laughs) Obama's economic record will be dispassionately acknowledged to be similar to that of Jimmy Carter. But unlike Carter, Obama will remain a mythical figure in liberal circles. You disagree? I see we got quite a fo- uh, few folks in the chat room here disagreeing with that one. By the way, the call-in number is 347-884-8500. To borrow a line from a classic Western, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. And so, we will do just that. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. freelance writer on historical subjects. His historical subject tonight, Thomas Jefferson and Islamic Fundamentalism. When word reached Monticello in the summer of 1801 that the U.S. consulate in Libya had been sacked by a mob, that the consul, his wife and baby girl, had to flee for their lives to the safety of the Danish embassy, where they hid for 10 days until smuggled from the city, President Thomas Jefferson was not surprised. For 17 years, he had been a country's leading hawk for war against militant Islam, Is that surprising, that this gentle deist philosopher, supposed pacifist, the father of American liberalism, was so bellicose? Since 1784, hijacking and hostage-taking by the Muslimen, as Muslims were then called, had plagued the country, while he, John Adams, and Ben Franklin had been the first American diplomats to negotiate for hostages. There were 14 the day he became Secretary of State in 1790, more than 100 when he stepped down in 1793. By the time he entered the White House, scores of Americans had died in hellish slavery, and the government had spent millions on ransom, tribute, and building a navy to meet the menace. The conservative Federalists had followed European-style diplomacy in the Mediterranean, submitting to the kidnappers' demands. But Jefferson was adamant. What galled him was not only the presence of cash, gold, silver, jewelry, but the arms shipments that completed the blackmail. His word. Cannon, tar, pitch, shot whole warships, our first military assistance program overseas. Worse, the kidnappers weren't even real pirates, but Islamic fundamentalists who justified their terrors by their faith. For Barbary pirates was a colloquial and misleading term. Europeans called them that because they preyed exclusively on unarmed merchant ships. But in their own eyes, they were soldiers of the jihad, mujahideen. Unlike the freebooting buccaneers of the Spanish main, These pirates were, simply, the official navies of four sovereign powers carrying out state policy. It was religious, state-sponsored piracy, sanctioned by the jihad. In Barbary days, one man's pirate was another man's mujahid. In 1786, in a hotel room in London, Jefferson and Adams held a secret session with a Libyan ambassador who demanded $100,000 not to begin taking hostages. Sheikh Abdurrahman explained the jihad to them, declared it was his sacred duty to make war on sinners, and that he did not recognize the rules of war against kidnapping civilians because these were written by non-believers. So, on his mountaintop in the summer of 1801, Thomas Jefferson was not surprised, and he had his war. It lasted the four years of his first term. One hero was John Rogers. Another commanded the battle schooner USS Enterprise, Lieutenant Stephen Decatur, Jr., after whom 20 American towns and counties would be named. It climaxed with an invasion to the shores of Tripoli, which was, in effect, a successful hostage rescue mission, one of whose heroes was Marine Lieutenant Presley O'Bannon. When the war ended, Congress investigated, justified the president, and, quote, roundly condemned now and for all time the payment of tribute by the United States of America for any reason to any foreign potentate. We look back at the founders, at their powdered wigs and buckled shoes, and say we are not them. We've changed. We've progressed. Maybe. 
But can we say the same of others? In 1979, the Ayatollah Khomeini did not recognize the inviolability of embassies and other laws he had no hand in writing. In 1983, the destroyer USS John Rogers patrolled the coast of Lebanon, while the Islamic Jihad killed 241 Marines. In 1986, Navy jets pounded Tripoli as the aircraft carrier Enterprise steamed for Libya. In the winter of 1987, the USS O'Bannon cruised the Persian Gulf as dozens of foreigners were prisoners of the party of God. And this summer, Congress investigates the paying of ransom for Americans held hostage by Islamic Jihad. Welcome back, folks, to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. So, you see, folks, based on that last audio clip, history does, in fact, repeat itself. Nothing is really ever new under the sun. Islamic jihadists have existed since long before this country was founded and has plagued this country ever since. Presidents have had to deal with this issue since the founding of this country and before. Now, what you heard in that clip was Thomas Jefferson as president having to deal with Islamic jihadist, radical Islam. It's not going to go away. All we can hope to do here in the United States is to be sure that our citizens are protected and that these atrocities don't spread to our shores any more than they already have. So, with that in mind, let's move forward. You know, I've been saying on my show for some time that um, America, in its brief Less than 500 years um, lifespan is following in the way of the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire was great and vast. It was it was an empire. We see residuals from the Roman Empire here in our streets, in the columns, all over Washington, D.C. If you've ever visited D.C., all of it is inspired by ancient Rome. The aqueducts, the inventions, so many things came as a result of the Roman Empire. But I've stated many times on my show, being a historian and a history professor, that I have seen the future. I have noticed. You see, folks who are history buffs, we can see the path we're traveling. And in a way, we're fortune tellers. Simply because there is nothing new under the sun. If you're paying close attention to what's going on in the world around you, things come full circle. I know you've noticed that. One of the one of the great privileges uh, that any literate man or woman can have is to read Gibbons. Gibbons wrote The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. I had that privilege. And it, at least to read it in its both its unabridged and abridged form about 20 years ago. The book, as witty and sarcastic as it is, makes the point, among many others, that Rome was doomed 
when its emperors became steadily more stupid, cowardly, self-obsessed, short-sighted, lazy, and grandiose. Remind you of anyone? Starting roughly 150 years A.D., the emperors were so bad that when each emperor died, often by murder, assassination, the citizens would rejoice. They thought that the old emperor was so bad that the new one would have to be better. Within a few months, they would be longing to have the old emperor back. Does that sound familiar? This is exactly what we're seeing in Barack Obama's America. We're seeing a president so bad that he makes even the worst prior ones look good, except for Jimmy Carter, who is beyond redemption. I'd like to, I'd like to not so humbly offer a few examples. My favorite is that immediately upon giving an emotional speech about the horrors, horrors of Islamic's slow beheading of an American journalist named Foley, immediately upon swearing revenge and retribution, immediately upon swearing revenge and retribution, our president went out to play his eighth round of golf in 11 days. He is rapidly closing in on playing 200 rounds since he took office. While David Cameron, the Prime Minister of the UK, returned from a vacation in Portugal to deal with the horror as best he could. The murderer was apparently an Afghan, or apparently an Afghan who had lived in Britain for some time. Digest that for a moment. Our president went on to the golf course on the exclusive island of Martha's Vineyard. He then played 18 holes of golf to prove to the murderers that he could stay cool. This man is not cool. This man is unwell. Imagine how the family of the victim must feel. Imagine how we all feel. This man takes sociopathic self-absorption to a terrifying new level. He is our president, and he is a self-absorbed con man. Exhibit 2. President Obama appointed Chuck Hagel to be Secretary of Defense. He appointed General Martin Dempsey to be Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. These two these two worthies gave a press conference after the murder of Mr. Foley. They said ISIS was the main threat to America now and must be stopped in Syria, where it began its career fighting against the super killer dictator Bashir Assad. And it's also where its bases lie. Great news, right? However, neither Mr. Hagel nor General Dempsey gave one single specific of how they would fight ISIS in Syria. Not one word. Now, Bashir Assad has a powerful army, up-to-date Russian-made weapons, one of the top air forces in the world. He has poison gas and the will to use it. Yet even he has not been able to stop ISIS. Obama, Hagel, and Dempsey. For them to say that they will fight in Syria and stop there is a terrible joke. If Assad can't stop it, be sure as heck we can't stop it. So why pretend? 
Oh, and by the way, does all of this mean we're now on the side of the mass murderer Assad? If so, where are the demonstrations and riots? Oh, I forgot. They only happen if Jews are to be blamed. Indeed. Item three. We're rapidly disarming, unilaterally, even as our enemies, Russia, China, the Arab terrorists, Iran, grow stronger. When we when when did we have a, a referendum calling for unilateral disarmament? When did it pass for Mr. Obama to be planning to castrate this great country in a world as dangerous as it has ever been since or, or has it been or has it has it has been since 1945? Apparently, is a plan that he and Bill Ayers had some time ago. It does not make any sense. It does have any sense to it at all, except for Mr. Obama working out his hatred of the country that has exalted him. Well, enough of that. The whole world knows that Mr. Obama is a disaster and phony. He wouldn't be allowed to govern the island of Grenada let alone the U.S. I leave him to Fox News. One more little thing. Let's not fall into the trap of thinking that the black man who attacked the policeman in Ferguson was unarmed. He was, hop- he was a hopped-up, hyper-muscular, six-foot-four, drugged-up loon attacking a policeman in his car. The youth was not unarmed. He was armed with his muscles and his fist and his rage. He was trying to get the policeman's gun. If that isn't enough to scare a policeman into using his weapon, what is? By the way, my friends at the BBC gleefully tell me that the rioters in Ferguson now claim the Hamas as their blood brothers. And so they are foolishly bent on killing, well, what can we say? It's a really sad time for America right now. But, as stated in our last segment. We have reasons to be optimistic. President Obama can do damage to this country. Of that, there is no doubt. He is the most powerful man in the country, in the world. He is our chief executive. He is our president. However, the next president, be he Democrat or Republican, will have No other choice but to scale back, if not utterly halt, Obama's agenda. We have reason to believe, we have reason to hope that there will be a decline and fall of Obama's America. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello. My name is Albert Lee Guillory, and I'm the senator for the 24th district right here in beautiful Louisiana. Recently, I made what many are referring to as a bold decision to switch my party affiliation to the Republican Party. I wanted to take a moment to explain why I chose to become a Republican and also to explain why I don't think it was a bold decision at all. It is the right decision, not only for me, but for all my brothers and sisters in the black community. You see, in recent history, the Democrat Party has created the illusion that their agenda and their policies are what's best for black people. 
Somehow it's been forgotten that the Republican Party was founded in 1854 as an abolitionist movement with one simple creed, that slavery is a violation of the rights of man. Frederick Douglass called Republicans the party of freedom and progress. And the first Republican president was Abraham Lincoln, the author of the Emancipation Proclamation. It was Republicans in Congress who authored the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, giving former slaves citizenship, voting rights, and due process of law. The Democrats, on the other hand, were the party of Jim Crow. It was Democrats who defended the rights of slave owners. It was the Republican President Dwight Eisenhower who championed the Civil Rights Act of 1957. But it was the Democrats in the Senate who filibustered the bill. You see, at the heart of liberalism is the idea that only a great and powerful big government can be the benefactor of social justice for all Americans. But the left is only concerned with one thing, control. And they disguise this control as charity. Programs such as welfare, food stamps, these programs aren't designed to lift black Americans out of poverty. They were always intended as a mechanism for politicians to control the black community. The idea that blacks, or anyone for that matter, need the government to get ahead in life is despicable. And even more important, this idea is a failure. Our communities are just as poor as they have always been. Our schools continue to fail children. Our prisons are filled with young black men who should be at home, being fathers. Our self-initiative and our self-reliance have been sacrificed in exchange for allegiance to our overseers who control us by making us dependent on them. Sometime I wonder if the word freedom is tossed around so frequently in our society that it has become a cliché. The idea of freedom is complex and it's all-encompassing. It's the idea that the economy must remain free of government persuasion. It's the idea that the press must operate without government intrusion. And it's the idea that the emails and phone records of Americans should remain free from government search and seizure. It's the idea that parents must be the decision makers in regards to their children's education, not some government bureaucrat. But most importantly, it is the idea that the individual must be free to pursue his or her own happiness, free from government dependence and free from government control. Because to be truly free is to be reliant on no one other than the author of our destiny. These are the ideas at the core of the Republican Party, and it is why I am a Republican. So my brothers and sisters of the American community, please join with me today in abandoning the government plantation and the party of disappointment so that we may all echo the words of one Republican leader who famously said, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Hello, and welcome to How Smart Is Your President? A game show testing the intelligence of President Barack Obama. And now, here's your host, G. Ski Thank you. You are too kind. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to How Smart Is Your President? A game show testing the intelligence of President Barack Obama. And, of course, here's our guest. Here's our player. Let's everybody welcome President Barack Hussein Obama. everybody welcome to the show we want to thank you for hanging out with us welcome to how smart is your president testing the intelligence of president barack obama our player for today of course the president of the united states barack hussein obama now we went over the rules backstage the game is very simple we're going to ask you a series of questions and you hit the fancy fancy buzzer to answer the question and we're going to start off right now Question number one. 
How many states make up the United States of America? Uh, I've now been in 57 states. I think one left to go. Sorry, Mr. President. The answer to the question is 50. 50 states make up the United States of America. Next question. Name one European country. Compared to countries like Europe? Sorry, Mr. President. Europe is not a country. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Next question. What is one of the treatments for asthma? A breathalyzer. Or an inhalator. Not a breathalyzer. Sorry, Mr. President. You meant to say inhaler. Inhaler was the answer that you were looking for. All right. Next question. Okay. As the President of the United States of America, recite for me the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. The, uh, I, I guess... I, I, hold on a second. So... So, uh, so all I'm, all, all, all I, I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait! Don't, don't, don't start. Don't, hold, hold on. Sorry, Mr. President. Time's up. The First Amendment of the United States Constitution states as follows: Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances, something that you clearly know nothing about. Anyway, moving on, last and final question, Mr. President. Name the Mexican holiday in the month of May. The Cinco de Cuatro. Sorry, Mr. President, that was the wrong answer. You said four of five. The answer to the question is Cinco de Mayo, the 5th of May. That is the correct answer, and you are wrong again. Well, that's all the time that we have, folks. I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Catch us next time when we play How Smart Is Your President? Testing the intelligence of President Barack Obama. I'm your host, GC Rock, and I'm out of here. Peace out, y'all. <laughs> Welcome back, folks, to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. I love that clip. That's a clip done by G-Ski Rocks, American Airwaves. Check out his show. He's on tonight, I believe, from 9 until uh, nine until 12. Um, and he his show is on every Wednesday from, from that time on. So check out his show. He is great. He is fantastic. And we're so glad that he is back with the, um, the uh, conservative uh, talk show family. So... Um, Let's uh let let's change um let's change tack right now. You know, from George Washington on, presidents have blamed those lying newspapers for their problems and often for the problems they create. And not just presidents, governors, mayors, and even aldermen play the national political sport. The villains now include television and internet though. President Obama has blamed the media for a lot of his problems, even though the majority of the media, except Fox News and maybe a couple of others, have been in his pocket. He is now throwing them under the bus. President, the, president's dream of drawing interviewers like Ezra Klein of Vox.com. President Obama sat down the other day with Mr. Klein and he served up one softball after another about the president's political theories, his reading of history and his dreams. The picture, the pitcher had neither curveball nor sliders in his repertoire. And Mr. Obama duly knocked him out of the park. The president thinks 
the legislative filibuster should be abolished. He would amend the Constitution to limit political speech, and he thinks income redistribution is a good thing for its own sake. But when he dismisses concerns about violent radical Islam as a media creation, which he thinks has been hyped and doesn't mean much, he crosses into fantasy. He compared himself to a city mayor whose job requires him to deal with crime and criminals, and the media's eagerness to play up the deeds of the few hardly make the problem serious. He suggests that reporters and pundits play up the violence in the Middle East for the same reason television's entertainment news hypes murders, mayhem, and perhaps even a light snowfall here or there. He refuses again to acknowledge the connection between everyone else, the, the connection that everyone else can plainly see, the link between radical Muslims and the violence that has collapsed civil order in the Arab world, leading to the beheading of civilians, the burning of a Jordanian Air Force pilot, and the rise of the Islamic State. He described the slayings of Jewish customers at a kosher delicatessen in Paris merely as, quote, random killings, end quote. The perpetrators of that massacre intended them as anything but random, but to kill as many Jews as they could, and Mr. Obama says he can't see the connection. I don't know. This is of a piece where his total denial of what's going on in the world, showing himself a religious partisan, more concerned about Christian misdeeds of a thousand years ago, than the crimes of Muslims last week. The president's way of war is to deny that anyone is at war. He sees a few random thugs on the street. Not a conscious enemy bent on the destruction of the West and who has said that they plan to show up at the White House and chop his head off. The president and our national security advisor scolded the clear-eyed folks last week for worrying about the Islamic barbarians who, in the White House view, represents neither an existential threat nor any other kind of threat to the United States or anyone else except those gay people they chuck off of tall buildings, blindfolded, well, blindfolded or not, being chucked off a tall building simply because you're gay is it's not good. Burning a Jordanian pilot alive, beheading everybody they can get their hands on that don't agree with them, burying small children alive, they're not worthy. They're just nuisances. Not worthy of presidential concern. Now, Josh Ernest, the president's press secretary, doggedly followed his boss down the rabbit hole when Jonathan Carl of ABC News persisted in asking whether the fact that Islamic gunmen killed Jews in a kosher deli could lead to a reasonable man to conclude they were killing people because they were Jews. The ha <laughs> Listen to this. The hapless Mr. Ernest, trying his best to keep a straight face, insisted the victims were shot at random. And the reason? Because they were not targeted by name. The barbarians who captured the Jordanian pilot didn't know his name, rank, or serial number either. But they randomly burned him alive anyway. President Obama has never understood, never understood that he was elected to a real job to deal with real world problems. He is more comfortable shooting endless rounds of golf, 
practicing his slam dunk and giving interviews to fawning, fawning partisans. The people who are on this planet deserve something better. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It just seems to me that we're living in a world that's just gone completely crazy. What do you think? I don't know. I hardly know what to say anymore. This the six years that our president that President Obama has been president has been a nightmare for us all. And not just conservatives. But for all Americans, we should all be concerned that America has elected a man who has no interest in doing his job. Protecting American citizens, being concerned. What happened to presidents? What happened, folks? Remember Theodore Roosevelt? Hell, FDR. Hey, even John Kennedy. Real presidents. Real leaders. Ronald Reagan. LBJ. Richard Milhouse Nixon. It seems that we're in the age of the candy ass. President Obama is capable of low-level management at best. What does it say about our country? What does it say about us? That we elected a man who is so utterly incompetent Twice. And what's worse, his poll numbers have ticked up. Isn't it amazing? What does that say about us? Does it imply at all that we know what we're doing. I don't know. I know, I mean, I know there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a a, you know, I I, I understand that we're going to come out of this okay. We will. I believe it. We elected this buffoon twice. And I'm not so sure that if he could run for a third term, that he wouldn't he would he wouldn't give America he he wouldn't give another candidate he wouldn't give Hillary a run for her money. Because this is what America has sunk to. We're, we've scraped the bottom of the barrel with this guy. Think of all the competent leaders who could have run for president, who didn't. Think of leaders that we could have had. Colin Powell, for one. Jeb Bush. Hey, I, I could go on down the list. But instead, we have Barack Hussein Obama, not once, my friends, but twice. And clearly, he has no idea what he's doing. That was clear a long time ago. Think about this. Are we going to do better next year, 2017? We can't elect Hillary Clinton. 
no matter what she says. That'll be just the third term for Obama. We must get a conservative in office. We must, for the sake of the survival of this once great and powerful nation that Obama has rendered nearly toothless. We're a paper tiger. And it's all because of Obama. I want to thank you for listening to me tonight. There's so many things you could be doing and you chose to come in and listen to my show and I do so appreciate it. Tune in tomorrow. We're on the air Monday through Thursday, 8 to 9 p.m. You can find our show on Spreaker. Download the Spreaker app onto your phone iTunes has a has my very first show to the most recent or blogtalkradio.com listen in tune in call in participate hell start your own show but whatever you do be sure to listen to me Dr. C Robert Jones I want to thank you once again I say God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. We're out. Try not to get worried. Try not to turn on to problems that upset you. Don't you know everything's all right? Yes, everything's fine. And we want you to sleep well tonight Let the world turn without you tonight If we try, we'll get by So forget all about us tonight Everything's alright, yes Everything's alright, yes Sleep and I shall soothe you Calm you and anoint you Therefore your hot forehead Then you feel everything's alright, yes Everything's fine And it's cool and the ointment's sweet For the fire in your head and feet Close your eyes, close your eyes And relax, think of nothing tonight Hey, woman, your fine ointment Brand new and expensive Should have been saved for the poor why has it been wasted? We could have raised maybe 300 silver pieces or more. People who are hungry, people who are starving, they matter more than your feet and hands. Try not to get worried, try not to turn on to problems. Don't you know everything's alright, yes, everything's alright, yes Surely you're not saying we have the resources to save the poor from their lot There will be poor always, pathetically struggling Look at the good things you've got Think while you still have me move, while you still see me You'll be lost and you'll be sorry when I'm gone. Sleep and I shall soothe you, calm you and anoint you for your hot forehead. Then you feel everything's alright, yes, everything's fine. And it's cool and the ointment sweet for the fire in your head and feet. Close your eyes, close your eyes and relax, think of nothing tonight. Close your eyes, close your eyes.